Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I like to think of all the high noon listeners as equal, not south of the border. Now shut up and eat the whole sausage. It's high noon. For Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021, follow the podcast on Gavin Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. You can join the discussion thread at t.me slash Be Reasonable Discussion. And there's a merch store now at www.cancelcotour.com. Now, today is the 41st whole day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of America's historically most corrupt and disgraceful families, and the father of one of the most despicable sons in history. Hunter, hey brother, if you die, I'm gonna bang your wife and her sister, Biden. So congratulations, America, for restoring our image in the world. You did it, woohoo! going to talk a little bit about the testimony from Christopher Ray in just a minute, but let's get excited for more Andrew Cuomo news. 
Now, I don't love the gossip, and some of these charges seem downright silly, but you got to remember the whole point of all these brand new distractions is to distract communists from understanding that Andrew Cuomo put thousands of sick patients with coronavirus into nursing homes, thereby killing a whole bunch of people's grandmothers. And we were told that that's why we had to wear masks, because if we didn't wear masks, then we were killing grandmothers. That's odd. Five Democrat governors were actively killing grandmothers, and we're pretending that didn't happen because we're more worried about Andrew Cuomo telling some woman to eat a whole sausage. And that's not great. Don't do it. If you're the governor, you might be joking. But first off, not really funny. And second of all, you're a Democrat. Aren't you sensitive to the things people say to women? I thought that that was part of your identity. He also, yesterday, was accused by a woman who said that at a wedding, Andrew Cuomo, a stranger, put his hand on her lower back. And when she threw his hand off of her, he said, my, my, that's pretty aggressive. And recognizing that she aggressively did not want his hand just above her ass, he decided to move that hand and his other hand directly to her face, where he grabbed her and said, do you want me to kiss you? So either he's the stupidest person alive or a creep. You can't be making that decision when you're 60. You already know that if a woman throws your hand off of her as a stranger, that probably means she doesn't want you to touch her more. And it almost definitely means she's not looking to have you kiss her, despite the fact that you're, yes, a very powerful governor, the most powerful governor in all the land. Look at me, I'm the governor, now we must kiss. <laughs> it's like uh, Uday and Kusei Hussein showing up at Iraqi citizens' weddings and waiting till they get married to go rape the wife. Did that happen? Sure it did. Is it basically the same behavior? Well, not quite, but it's on the spectrum. So good job, Democrats. You have really shown the world the example of what true, non-toxic masculinity is all about. But let's not forget that the reason that all these accusations are coming out, even Hillary Clinton now has written a statement about how all these allegations must be taken very seriously, even though it's our friend who did it. <laughs> They're trying to make sure that people stop asking questions about the nursing homes because then they lose Gavin, they lose Whitmer, they lose Tom Wolf and Phil Murphy, all of whom put sick people into nursing homes while closing down hospitals to elective surgeries, 
cancer screenings, and a million other things. They actively destroyed the health of their populations and of the populations of the nursing homes and did so to make money for those nursing home companies. This was essentially pay for murder, not even pay for play, pay for murder. That's what they did. Cuomo himself avoided using the two military hospital ships that Donald Trump set up. He avoided using the Javits Center that Donald Trump set up. He avoided using field hospitals in Central Park. All to put sick people into nursing homes. He pretended it was about capacity. It was never about capacity. But yeah, let's go for the salacious claims. All of this is terrible. And Chris Cuomo actually finally had to address this last night on his show that he still has on CNN for some reason. And he said, well, you know, obviously I know what's going on with my brother and I'm not going to talk about it because we've decided that the policy is I can't cover my brother. Unless, of course, it's to joke around with him about coronavirus while he's putting sick people into nursing homes. That's okay because then we needed to look Andrew to make Andrew Cuomo look good. And now we can't make him look good. So Chris Cuomo can't cover him anymore. But Chris Cuomo said that it's CNN's job to cover Andrew Cuomo now and that they have done so extensively. But they haven't. So not only can Chris Cuomo cover Andrew Cuomo, we've seen that's possible. CNN allowed that before. They just won't do it now. Now it's a problem for him to cover them. But CNN is also not covering them. I think I saw a statistic maybe on Saturday about uh, Thursday and Friday CNN coverage of the nursing home scandal, and they had devoted 96 seconds to it. 96 seconds. Apparently, they expected that that would be enough for us. That's all the communist CNN viewers needed to know about Andrew Cuomo is, hey, there's this hospital thing going on, but there's really no proof. There's no hard evidence that this was a bad decision. Things like that don't become true until Anthony Fauci says them. And of course, Anthony Fauci had called Andrew Cuomo the gold standard on how to handle the coronavirus. And Anthony Fauci had no problem with the policy of putting sick people into nursing homes. So I guess it's never going to be true that it was a problem. Basically, go fuck yourself, everyone whose parents died in nursing homes. We can't cover that because we're too worried pretending that there is a white supremacist domestic terrorism threat. In fact, they've been hyping up that there's a domestic terrorism threat facing us on March 4th, two days from today, coming from Trump supporters and QAnon believers, even though QAnon isn't a thing that exists, except in the minds of communists who can't read or think or use the internet on their own. And perhaps we should be worried more about Democratic voters' inability to use the internet 
instead of, as Joe Biden worries, black and Hispanic people. Apparently, they don't know how to use the Internet, according to Joe Biden. But the rest of the Democratic voters do, even though at this late date, not a single one of them knows what Q or Anons are, and they believe QAnon is a thing, even though it's not, and they don't even know what that thing means. So once again, congratulations, America. The party of education and the party of data and science is really showing themselves to be every bit as expert and intelligent as they imagine themselves to be. Now, uh, one of the representatives, uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who, if memory serves, is the congressional representative from Washington, D.C., who actually doesn't have a vote. Weird system we have. But then again, she is representing an occupied foreign nation that is still pretending to be the capital of the United States of America, though it is not. She's wondering why we still have a warlike military presence in Washington, D.C. And she's asking for the fencing to be taken down, which is odd because they are also, again, telling us that we are facing a domestic terror threat in two days. And the new acting chief of the Capitol Police is saying that when the imaginary Joe Biden State of the Union happens, there is a domestic terrorism threat to blow up the Capitol and try to kill congressmen and senators, and of course, Joe Biden, who may or may not be dead by that time anyway. And no, Secret Service, I'm not suggesting anyone kill him. I'm suggesting that he's half dead, as I said at the beginning of the show, based on his obvious physical decline. There are no Trump supporters anywhere thinking about demonstrating or rioting or doing anything on March 4th. If something like that happens, it should immediately be viewed as a false flag event, much like the January 6th event was. And we'll discuss more of that when we get to the Christopher Ray business. But let's talk about Dr. Seuss. And how now, brown cow, <laughs> he is apparently racist. Dr. Seuss is no longer deemed to be appropriate for consumption by children because they figured out some way to go back in his history and decide that Dr. Seuss is racist and thereby his books are racist. What is the claim here? that only black people eat green eggs and ham? Or that only Hispanics know a guy named Horton who hears a who? Or that the Grinch who stole Christmas is somehow trans? What in the fuck? are we talking about? Dr. Seuss is inappropriate? Dr. Seuss is mostly fun gibberish for children with interesting pictures of 
fantastical made-up characters, none of whom even seem to exhibit racial features at all. We also have to think about canceling Mr. Potato Head now because apparently that is too gender specific for the agendered culture that we now live in where men are offensive and women are okay, except for the fact that the existence of women supports the quote unquote theory that there are only two genders. I wonder how we have made it through thousands of years as a human race only to reach this point. All of the learning in the world has somehow just made us retarded. And by us, I mean commies. And how did this Mr. Potato Head thing even start? I have to imagine that it may well have been Brian Stelter using an anonymous name on Twitter and then infecting the Twitter sphere with the idea that Mr. Potato Head is offensive because he is protecting his kind. Brian Stelter is the closest thing to a human version of Mr. Potato Head that has ever existed. Mr. Potato Head and his bucket of parts, buckets of fun for CNN. It's fucking great, right? Thanks. Now check this report out from ABC News. The headline today, March 2nd, thousands of students reported missing from school systems nationwide amid COVID-19 pandemic. States around the country are reporting a significant decline in the number of students enrolled in public schools because of the coronavirus pandemic, leaving experts and educators concerned about the trend and its potential long-term consequences. And of course, no one could have seen this coming. Who could ever imagine that if you keep kids out of school for an entire year and tell them to just watch school on their iPad, some of them might not show up. Couldn't have thought of that a year ago. A notable number of students seem to have simply fallen off the grid, not showing up for online or in-person instruction, their whereabouts unknown by school officials. Given the chaos caused by the pandemic and the lack of data, it is difficult to truly determine the exact magnitude of the problem, which seems to be disproportionately affecting already vulnerable student populations, among them homeless students, children with disabilities, children of immigrants, children in foster care, and children of color. And they did not use an Oxford comma, so fuck ABC News. I am fired up today. All right, let's break this paragraph down. Given the chaos caused by the pandemic, no, the chaos is caused by the pandemic response, the lockdowns, the school closures, totally unnecessary measures that did nothing except destroy society. Let's be accurate here. Given the chaos caused by lockdowns and school closures, there, ABC News, I fixed it for you. And the lack of data. Well, that's weird. How is there a lack of data? 
We are being guided by the party of data. The CDC doesn't have this data. The teachers unions don't have this data. That's weird. The teachers unions are supposed to know everything about schooling. That's why we've been trusting them to run the school policy, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what we're told? If that's not the case, why are we listening to the teachers unions? They don't have the data. They don't have the information that we need to make the proper decisions about when to open schools. Whose responsibility is that then? The states don't have it. The schools don't have it. The teachers unions don't have it. The CDC doesn't have it. Dr. Fauci doesn't have it. And the news organizations don't have it. What happened? Did the Grinch steal your homework? All of those organizations should have data on who's attending schools. And if they don't, then they're clearly not doing their job. And it's obvious that they're not doing their job because they are focused on things like white supremacist extremism, problems that barely exist in society, get all the time while millions of children going to school gets forgotten. So we have no data. All right. It's difficult to determine the magnitude of the problem. Yes, very, very difficult. Oh, it's disproportionately affecting vulnerable populations. Everything disproportionately harms vulnerable populations. That is what it means to be vulnerable. It would be nice once in a while if they could actually narrow down which segments of these vulnerable populations are really experiencing the negative effects. But of course, if they did that, then they would have to say, well, these problems exist primarily where Democrat governors closed schools for a year for no reason. These problems exist primarily in communities of color in democratic states and cities where they closed schools for no reason and where their communities have been decimated by decades upon decades of Democrat policies by Democrat mayors in states with Democrat governors, in states with two Democrat senators, in states where the state government is dominated by Democrats. That's where the problem exists. Why is it so hard to find it? A recent study by Bellwether Education Partners, a nonprofit that focuses on underserved communities, estimates that approximately 3 million of the most educationally marginalized students in the country may have been missing from school since March 2020 when the pandemic forced school closures. The group said it arrived at the number by calculating a likely percentage of at-risk groups not in school based on media reports and available data. Oh. So it seems like they just said that the media doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. They don't have the data, yet they're basing their claims on data from media reports so I guess that means that media reports aren't accurate. Now that comes as a shocker. 
ABC News contacted officials from the departments of education in all 50 states and found that the problem appears to be nationwide. Oh, I'm certain that it's just nationwide. Although some states reported that they do not track such information, many others said that they have seen a significant decline in their enrollment numbers, and still others have reported they have thousands of missing students. All right, so approximately 3 million of the most educationally marginalized students in the country have been missing from school since March 2020. A full year, 3 million of the most educationally marginalized. Now, if the Democrat Party exists for anything at all, besides corporate payoffs, erosion in privacy, and gun control, well, and also the introduction of uh, communism, we are told to believe that they exist to protect the vulnerable, minorities, women, very vulnerable, the underserved, the poor. That's Democrats' job, is it not? So three million in a country of, you know, 300 plus million. So we're talking about, you know, approximately 1% of our entire population are children at risk in school who were forced out of school by bad, unnecessary policy that was not at all driven by science or data, as we can see in places all around the world who have had schooling continue this entire time without problems. And that is just a fact. That is the actual data. There is no problem with this school. Kids do not get COVID for the most part. The ones who do, do not get severe symptoms. Almost none of them go to the hospital or die. But we have taken 1% of our society, maybe the most vulnerable 1% of the entire society, children who were already marginalized in, in public schools, right? And we have taken them, they have disappeared. We have wiped out their opportunity for the future by destroying their education. We're told, right, that education is the one way, the one way to get out of poverty, to manufacture a better life for yourself. Three million kids, we have no idea where they are. Democrat policies, Democrat policies. There is no question about this. In Michigan, K through 12 enrollment decreased this fall by some 53,000 students out of about 1.5 million students. That's roughly one out of every 28, 29 students. So that's 3% in Michigan. Just some quick math there for you. In December, in a December op-ed, State Superintendent Michael Rice said much of the drop was due to factors such as an annual decline in enrollment for the past 10 years, parents opting to hold their children back from kindergarten, and an increase in the number of homeschooled students, ultimately accounting for approximately 40,000 of those students. However, he said, of significant concern are the approximately 13,000 students fully unaccounted for, as if the other accounted fors are somehow in a much better position. The granular work to find children must take place at the local level, Rice wrote. Every child is important. To lose even one is too many. 
And to find them ourselves is too difficult. So we have to disseminate the responsibility for this problem onto local communities. So, hey, reporter, go ask all the local people. And then if you can't figure it out, come back to me and I'll say we really should study that. That's my solution. I'm, I'm being Michael Rice right now. In Dallas, Texas, which was home to approximately 153,000 students last year, there are about 9,000 high schoolers, 2,000 middle schoolers, and 1,000 elementary school students unaccounted for. Robin Harris, a representative from the Dallas Independent School District, told ABC News. And in Florida, officials are trying to determine the whereabouts of nearly 88,000 students who were expected for the 2020-2021 uh, academic year and failed to show up in the fall. Last year, state enrollment topped 2.8 million, but that number has since dipped to 2.7 million. In a February 11th letter to school district leaders, Florida House Speaker Chris Sprouse called this drop alarming, stating that the number represents over 3% of the state's total student population. I can't talk. Posting his letter on Twitter, Sprouse urged districts to use every available resource to locate these missing children. We have a moral obligation not to allow any of these children to slip through the cracks of the system. You should have thought of that before you close schools. Miami-Dade County, which is home to the nation's fourth largest school system with nearly 335,000 students. The district opened this year with over 10,000 fewer students than in 2019. Superintendent Alberto Carvalho, Carvalho, I don't, I'm sorry about the pronunciation. I've never known how that name was pronounced. Probably because there's no athletes with that name or I would have known for sure. He told ABC News, after multiple steps were deployed to find these students, the majority were located. However, the district says there are still about a thousand students who are deemed truly missing, which he calls deeply troubling. We believe that these were the students who were in crisis prior to the COVID-19 crisis. These were probably poor students, probably English language learners, learners who may have had a disability, may have had home insecurity, food insecurity, and may have had a fragile immigration status. Well, what? Why are children missing? Nationwide in many public school districts, kindergarten enrollment is down. Although kindergarten is not a requirement in any of the following states, Minneapolis saw a 16% decline. Los Angeles had a 14% drop and Colorado experienced a 9% decline in their yearly kindergarten enrollment. Many students also do not have access to essential technology technological resources, such as Wi-Fi or computers in order to participate in remote learning. Oh, so you're saying there was a problem with remote learning. Who could have foreseen that? A digital equity report by the National Education Association found that an estimated 25% of school-aged children do not have broadband access or a web-enabled device, such as a computer or a tablet. Oh, got it. Okay, so we have thoroughly destroyed an entire generation of children who are growing up already disadvantaged and then we made it worse with a policy that would obviously make it worse. There was no other way. And why did we do that? Why is it still happening? Only, only for teachers unions, literally for nothing else. All of these fucking people should be ashamed. This is disgraceful. From the onset of the pandemic, there were about 17 million students who were not adequately connected to the internet, said Mike McGee, CEO of Chiefs for Change, a nonprofit bipartisan network of state and district education leaders from across the country. From a learning standpoint, that was potentially catastrophic. No shit. 
What we've learned over the course of the past 12 months is that from both a learning and a health perspective, there are millions of students for whom virtual learning just is not working. In addition, he said, there's a subset of those students who are completely detached from their school systems at the moment. They have logged off. They don't feel connected enough to their own learning to log on every day. No shit. Literally every kid in the world doesn't want to go to school if they can be staying home and playing with their friends and eating candy, you fucking dummies. Who ever thought that this was a good idea? Anyone whose parents have to be at work is not going to stay home and go to class online, especially not with these jackass teachers that keep getting in trouble for like jerking off during class or having porn pop up on their screens. What is happening with these children is an absolute disgrace. It's hard to even fathom how severely this response has let these people down. According to the NEA's report, most of the children lacking appropriate technology are from low-income and minority families with Quote, this inequality is systematically related to the historical divisions of race, socioeconomic status, and geography. There's a shocker. Another major issue affecting education for low-income families is the economy. Millions of low-income families have felt the brunt of the economic downturn, with many suddenly confronted with unemployment and housing insecurity, causing these children to be more at risk of missing school. Okay, well, now you're just saying the same things over and over again, and obviously anyone with a brain can figure that out. Here's another quote. Many of our students live in multi-generational families where mom, grandma, aunts, uncles all live in the same space. Hey, where's dad, you shitheads? And many of them have experienced COVID in a real way, where unfortunately death has taken a toll on their family. Some of them are not comfortable with the face-to-face -face piece. They're just trying to maintain the day-to-day -day survival, Harris explained. This is just such utter nonsense. This is ass-covering by these people. So what they're saying is, oh, hey, these are minority families that are in multi-generational households where someone definitely died from COVID and we're sure it was from COVID. And so now the kids are scared to go back to school and they're trying to maintain day-to-day -day survival. Well, why don't they wear four masks then? Why don't they all just wear four masks and every little thing gonna be all right? Further, with job or wage losses in the country persisting amid the coronavirus, some of these teenagers are opting to work rather than return to school in order to help their families make ends meet or caring for younger siblings while their parents work. Right now, it's not at the forefront of their mind to be on top of their schooling because it's about really making sure that their family unit is maintained. Oh yes, that's so great. We have put the responsibility for the family onto the children. I guess the COVID relief package didn't work. Why is that? Oh, well, I guess it's because last May, Nancy Pelosi decided it would be more important to focus on getting ballot harvesting, uh, nationwide unsolicited mail-in balloting, bailouts for Democrat states, and concessions to the teachers unions. So I guess, fuck it, COVID relief doesn't matter. I guess we're going to let these families starve unless the children go to work instead of school so that they can feed these people that Democrats have systematically removed from their employment and destroyed their jobs completely. Again, this is an abomination.
The pandemic has also led to a dramatic surge in the number of students absent on a typical school day, regardless of whether remote learning is in place or not. Chronic absence, which is defined by the U.S. Department of Education as missing at least 15 days of school, has increased substantially, particularly among vulnerable populations and students of color, according to Hetty Chang, who directs Attendance Works, an initiative targeting, uh, targeting chronic absenteeism. In some districts, student absences have doubled during the beginning of the pandemic. In Connecticut, for example, chronic absence has risen from 12% in the 2019-2020 school year to 21% in the first half of this school year. For English learners, the rate has doubled from 17 to 35%. And for students eligible for free meals, it's up from about 20 to 35%. What schools are doing? Around the country, teachers and school officials are doing their best to connect with students who are missing or are chronically absent. Dr. Chad Geston, or Justin, superintendent of the Phoenix Union High School District and a member of Chiefs for Change, has created a program to contact every student every day by having adults placing a phone call to the over 30,000 students in Phoenix to check on how they were doing. Yeah, I bet the kids love that. Similarly, in Dallas, the district's Operation Comeback campaign is seeking to recapture the missing students. Teachers, administrators, and volunteers have been reaching out to students, said Harris, with postcards or emails asking them, where are you? We miss you. Come back. There's still time. Door-to-door -door home visits began earlier this month, but were cut short following the frigid weather that hit Texas last month. Miami-Dade in Florida is using a multi-tiered approach, using all of our resources collectively to be able to reach these families, such as door-to-door -door visits by school officials in collaboration with police officers, social workers, and county entities, tracking students in subsidized housing through the county's housing authority. Oh, good. Now we have truancy officers. The district is working with community-based organizations to reach out, in particular, to migrant communities while conveying information through mass media and social media. Officials want to sensitize our community to the plight of these families, including reaching out to the friends of the missing students to see if they knew where they were. So it is an all-hands-on-deck approach to determine where the students are. Well, that's not quite all hands, because all hands would have figured out that, that it's the policies themselves driving these students away. The data is unequivocal and has been the entire time. There is no risk from in-person schooling. No risk. And we're still pretending that this makes sense. California just re-announced yesterday the thing that I said a few days ago, maybe a week or so ago, that Gavin Newsom was allotting $6.6 billion of California taxpayer money to get schools prepared to open more quickly with COVID. You know how much of that money needs to be spent on preparing schools for COVID? Zero dollars. Put it to better use. Are we really going to pretend that what is going to help these children the most is putting up plastic barriers between their desks that they can make use of between now and when school ends in what, three months? March, April, May, maybe they go through June, four months? This is a fucking joke. The long-term consequences for those missing students are catastrophic, experts say. Also, non-experts can say that because it's obvious. You're gonna have a whole generation of kids who are not well enough prepared for college and careers. 
You're going to have significant increases in mental, social, and emotional well-being issues with kids, McGee said. No shit. It can also be difficult for a student who has left school for a while to re-enter the educational system and adapt. However, there is hope as, quote, interrupted schooling is a challenge that can be addressed, Chang said. Oh, it sounds like you're on top of it, Hetty Chang. Students are resilient and have provided with adequate academic and social supports and offered, quote, engaging, supportive, and powerful educational experiences that offer pathways to a better future. They will be able to make up for lost learning opportunities due to the pandemic, she added. We need to appropriate the necessary resources to bring these students up to the standard that is equivalent to their age at this point as quickly as possible. Or America as a whole will lose its position on the world stage. Oh. So the positive note is that we need to do a bunch of amorphous things that sound good to communists or else America might lose its position on the world stage. That's weird. So the hopeful part is a total fantasy of buzzwords. And the downside is the goal that the communists actually want, which is America losing its position on the world stage. It's nice that they admit that they have a whole generation of kids who are not going to be prepared for college and careers and are going to deal with mental, social, and emotional well-being issues. When did I say that? 10 months ago? 11 months ago? That was just common sense then. Now it's admitted, but it's presented in a positive way. And of course, they interviewed special advocates. I bet if I spent my day, I'm not going to because this issue is so obviously a corruption and incompetence issue. That, and this is not one of the things that I really feel like digging on. But if anyone does, go pick out the different organizations that they named in this article and research those organizations, research these individuals who they've quoted. And I guarantee you that you will find that these people are connected to educational organizations funded by the very people who are funding all the other terrible bullshit that is afflicting our society with this communist nonsense. I would, I would bet on it. This is all just so sad and so stupid. And what makes it even more sad and stupid is how unnecessary it is. This is an abomination. This is a disgrace and it should not be happening in the United States of America. The fact that our Democrat representatives did this and that they are still doing it and that they seemingly have absolutely no plan to even account for the issue, much less fix it, should be a shame on, an, on our entire population, particularly our half-dead, demented, degenerate, fake proxy president, Joe Biden. This is pathetic. And now it's very, very hard to go from an issue that makes me so furious and then have to talk about Christopher Ray. So instead of that, I'm gonna talk about briefly a wonderful, beautiful text message that my friend just sent me. And here's an article from the Austin American Statesman. Governor Greg Abbott ends statewide mask mandate moves to open Texas 
100%. Woohoo! Thank you, Governor Abbott. Governor Greg Abbott said it's time to open Texas 100% Tuesday and, the, and end the statewide mask order, citing declining hospitalizations across the state as more people are vaccinated against the coronavirus. Not the reason, but okay. People and businesses don't need the state telling them how to operate. You're damn right, Governor Abbott. Thank you again. The move flouts warnings from health experts and federal officials. Oh my God. The Austin American statesman is a communist operation, I guess who have urged caution from state officials as new, more contagious variants that could make coronavirus cases and hospitalizations rebound after promising declines. Oh, no. Texas is in a far better position now than when I issued my last executive order back in October. He said, now Texans have mastered the daily habits to avoid getting COVID. Yeah, like understanding that you're not going to get COVID unless you're old as fuck and that you're going to be just fine unless you're old as fuck or severely unhealthy. And then it goes on and obviously go ahead and read it if you like, but I do want to uh, just pick out a couple of paragraphs here. There's also a chance that some variants could be quote, somewhat resistant to the vaccines said Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the U S centers for disease control. On Monday, Walensky warned that states should not lift coronavirus restrictions as the new, more contagious variants spread across the country. This is a quote from her. Please hear me clearly. At this level of cases with variants spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we have gained. I'm really worried about reports that more states are rolling back the exact public health measures we have recommended to protect the people. Okay, well, here we go, Rochelle. None of your mitigations worked at all, you fucking idiot. This is total incompetence. They know, based on the data, that masks do not work and lockdowns do not work. And none of their mitigation strategies have made a single goddamn difference in this virus. The mask mandates in most places have been in place since last May. Did it prevent spikes? No, it didn't. Did it wipe out the disease? No, it didn't. The cases are going down because they have regularized and normalized the cycle thresholds for the PCR tests. They are still not as low as they should be. And if they were, the cases would be dramatically lower still. But we have to pretend that whatever progress, quote unquote, we've made, is a result of these mitigations, even though we know it is. We also have to pretend that after a year of this virus spreading itself throughout the communities, that people are still exceedingly vulnerable to it, as if people aren't developing antibodies, as if people who have gotten the virus are just going to get it again. Why do we keep having to pretend that any of this is happening. The fact that Anthony Fauci says, well, you know, it might be possible that you could get a second infection. That doesn't mean everybody's running around getting second infections. Does anyone know anyone who has gotten COVID twice? Have you read any stories about someone getting COVID twice? No, you've read stories about someone possibly getting it twice or the possibility of getting it twice, but you have not read stories about outbreaks among people who have already had coronavirus. 
And these variants, the variants that she says the vaccine might not work on, three days ago, Fauci just said that they would. They can't even get their lies straight. So why should any of us believe them ever at all? This is ridiculous. Man, see, I tried to turn that into good news and now I'm pissed off again. So I guess it's time to talk about Christopher Ray, and it's just what we're going to have to do. I'm sorry. So FBI Director Christopher Ray testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Committee today on the events of January 6th. And usually at these sort of testimonials, you would think that one might have more information about a situation after listening to the hearing than before. But I listened to the whole hearing, except for, of course, people like Chris Coons and Maisie Hirono and uh, John Ossoff and other uh, communist members, because really, what's the point in hearing them just tee up questions about white supremacy so that we can pretend that this is the gravest issue facing our society. Like that's pointless. So do I spend my time on it? Nope, sorry. If you want to, by all means, waste your time. So Pat Leahy did his questioning from a remote location. He had to Zoom himself in. Was he present for the fake impeachment? Yep, he sure was. Was that weeks ago now? Yes, it was. Apparently, the Senate has grown more dangerous over this time. Maisie Hirono also wasn't there. Hopefully, she's spending her time at home doing things she's never done before, like read books. Now, Ray's answers to many of the questions were consistently just dodges or blatant dishonesty, which in these testimonies, I've talked about this before, they always cover this stuff up by either saying they don't know, that it's not them that would be tasked with knowing that. Like, yeah, my role as director doesn't you know, I, I'm not really the one responsible for going over and uh, uh, that information. Like those are typical answers. Or again, they try to disseminate their responsibility by saying it's another agency or it's people lower on the chain. It's never them. They are never the one who has to be responsible for knowing the answers to these questions. Or there's an ongoing investigation that they can't talk about yet, even to senators even about things that the media is already reporting. For instance, he was asked directly what he knew about Brian Sicknick's death. Brian Sicknick's own mother said he died from a stroke, or at least she was told he died from a stroke, the day after the riot. So January 7th, he did go to the hospital. He did not go to the hospital because he got hit over the head with a fire extinguisher. That did not happen. The New York Times reporting on that was absolute unequivocal fake news. It never happened. There was no reason for anyone to ever believe or say that it happened. None of that was true. They also disposed of Sicknick's body 
before the family could have an autopsy. They cremated him. Are we really supposed to believe that Christopher Ray does not know that? Revolver News knows it. The New York Times had to retract their statements on it. How does Christopher Ray not know that? And how can we allow for a situation where someone who is responsible for this is able to avoid answering questions about something he clearly must know to the people tasked with holding him accountable? It's public knowledge that Brian Sicknick did not die from being hit over the head with a fire extinguisher. He did not die as a result of the Capitol riot. Unless, of course, he got Hillaried. Constantly, the entire Democrat side was just asking leading questions about white supremacist violence to which Ray would give muddy answers. He would say like, yeah, you know, white supremacist violence is certainly one of the key things that we've been paying attention to. Oh, really? Well, that doesn't mean anything. CNN can say that. Do you have information on these claims? Do you have something to add to our knowledge of this? Basically, a Democrat just proposes that that's the biggest problem in the world. And Chris Ray just nods along and says, yeah, that's, you know, that's something we're focusing on. Is Antifa a problem? Well, you know, yeah, all extremist groups are, are, are something we're focusing on. So is Antifa a problem? Well, yeah, all groups, all groups. But is Antifa a problem? He doesn't answer this shit like a normal person. It is all just ducking out of legal responsibility. All these mealy-mouthed answers, they are just bullshit. They're meant to say, not going to tell you, please move on to the next question, and let's make sure that I can never get in trouble for this testimony. Ray suggested specifically that there was no evidence, no evidence of Antifa violence at the Capitol riot. None. Now, no one asked him about BLM violence. Perhaps, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but perhaps they're all chalking up John Sullivan's activism, quote unquote, John Sullivan's violence, John Sullivan's organizing of this event, John Sullivan's uh, entrance into the Capitol and the stuff he did there. Maybe he's only affiliated with BLM and not Antifa, even though they're basically the same thing. But if we're going to talk about it like that, then fine. He's going to say, yeah, there's no proof of Antifa violence. And no one asks him about BLM violence because, oh, my God, the whole media would erupt. And then someone would get canceled. So we don't get answers to questions like that. In fact, and this is a major problem with the Republicans, of whom very few did a good job questioning. I mean, Josh Hawley always does awesome. Uh, Ted Cruz was a little boring today. John Kennedy did great. And Lindsey Graham did the thing that he always does, which is ask almost all of the right questions but then never press for the right answers. And it's basically like a tactic to seem like he's standing up for people, even though it never really comes to pass. It's very clever. It's also very annoying. But not one of these senators 
asked the simplest question, which is, who is John Sullivan? Why was he in there? What do you know about him? What is his past like? What are his affiliations? And why were multiple videos taken by him and his organization used by the Democrat managers in the fake impeachment? Why can't we get an answer on that? What could be more interesting and more important in getting out into the public narrative than that? I would submit that there's nothing. Did we get it? Of course not. Ray was asked about whether or not it was still necessary to have the National Guard at the Capitol. Guess what his answer was? Well, you know, I'm not really the one to assess that. Really? So whose intelligence are they operating on? Why are those troops there? Still, no one knows. I guess it's because of QAnon. At one point, Ray claimed that the shooting of a Trump supporter in Portland was the first time that an anarchist extremist had committed a murder. We know that's not true. There were plenty of murders last summer in the post-George Floyd violence. Plenty of murders. There were cop killings, David Dorn. There was rampant, horrific violence for months on end. Months. And it barely made a dent. Again, Ray said that white supremacist extremism is the largest source of racially motivated extremism. Now, first of all, that is not correct. But also, that is only dependent on how you define racially motivated extremism. They basically define, they define the racial situation as one where it's impossible for anyone but white people to commit racially motivated violence. So under that definition, if it's only white people who can do the thing, of course it's white people who do the most of the thing. That's the only way it could be. And I think it's uh, Lindsey Graham who was asking him. He was asking him about the different uh, groups, like are the Proud Boys a domestic terrorist organization? Are the Boogaloo Boys a domestic terrorist organization? And whatever the other ones are. But he, I think he said Antifa and something else. And time after time, Ray said, well, you know, we don't really define things that way. Well, that's interesting then, because you just said about 20 minutes earlier that what happened at the Capitol was done by these groups and that that was domestic terrorism. So how is it that those groups aren't domestic terrorist organizations? Like these distinctions are ridiculous and they just use them again to deflect from anything with actual meaning. Watching these things is often just so frustrating because the, we know the people in charge of organizations like the FBI and the CIA are totally incompetent. But you would like to see that the representatives actually care about doing their jobs. And it seems that they don't, except to perpetrate the same narrative. They dig for information that will allow the narrative con to continue or just to kind of fizzle out two months after the event. And Ray was basically saying that he still doesn't know anything about what happened. There was no new information today. Two months. 
they've supposedly been investigating everything under the sun. And we get nothing. Hawley, actually, Josh Hawley uh, from Missouri, Senator, did a great job today. Um, and he always does. He's the best at asking questions on the, ju the uh, Judiciary Committee by far. He and John Kennedy are great. And then like Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham are kind of always a little bit mealy-mouthed and silly, but it's better than nothing. Um, but uh, Hawley was asking specifically about whether the FBI was using uh, geo geolocation technology to figure out who was at the Capitol, where they are now, is that being used as part of the investigation? Ray's not sure. What happened with Bank of America relaying private customer information to the FBI, which is illegal? And of course, Ray doesn't know the answer to that. Whether or not they're going through encryption and working with the social media giants to get information on people, well, Ray doesn't know about that either. So what does Ray know about the investigation that he's conducting? Nothing, apparently, or at least nothing that he can say now, of course, because it's, it's part of an ongoing investigation. And we can't discuss the illegal things that we do here. The only time we ever discuss the illegal things that we do is if we get caught and then we just blame them on, on, on some lower level person like Kevin Kleinsmith. And then we just let him go with like 100 days of community service. It's crazy. What's happening now is fucking crazy. All, the, everything is just so corrupt. And I know I say this stuff all the time. And I'm sorry to always harp on the same points. But these points are so legitimate. And if you're not fired up, I don't know how. So the FBI, at one point, Christopher Ray, you know, obviously representing the FBI, he said, we're asking people to report on, on those whose political views have become darker and more extreme. This is, this is in the one response uh, I heard that he gave to, to Maisie Hirono because I didn't skip fully all the way through her nonsense. Um, but he's portraying that as a good thing. We want people to be reporting their friends, their family members for how their political views are changing. Now, that might be a legitimate thing to be interested in if we were talking about legitimate extremism. But the way we define extremism right now is if you, for instance, challenge the validity of the fraudulent election, then you could be considered an extremist. Should you be turned in by your family members to the FBI for that? This is the road we're going down. This is dystopian as fuck. And no one seems to really give a shit. That, by the way, is not an approach toward extremism. Questioning the validity of a vote should be everyone's civic responsibility and duty. The validity of the vote is the last remaining protection we have as free citizens. And half the country seems not to care about this at all. They're going to care. You know, people definitely think I'm crazy to still believe in this stuff. And that's fine. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I understand that people don't spend as much time on this stuff as I do. They don't understand the fullness of my rationality behind this. I get it. You have to hope, right? There's two choices here. I've said it before. Either the truth comes out and it gets rectified or the country's over.
And I refuse to believe that the country is over. I refuse to believe that normal American citizens will allow that to happen. When the moment of truth comes down, people will make the right decision. I still have faith in that. That's why I'm still happy and still fighting. Now, uh, John Kennedy went after Ray like just rapid fire. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. Like if you're going to watch anything from the testimony today, watch Kennedy first and then Hawley and then whatever after that. But he uh, he was going after Ray for who failed to call out the National Guard because they had intelligence. They were calling it the, uh, I think they've been referring to it as the, the Norfolk Report or something, but they had intelligence in the days prior that there could be violence that day. And it's becoming clear with the news reporting that Nancy Pelosi may have been singularly responsible in making sure that the National Guard was not called in because she was worried about optics. And that stuff is still developing. But a lot of us have been talking about that since January 7th. And that's almost two months now that it's taken for such an obvious piece of the narrative to come out. And they're suppressing it and they will continue to suppress it. That is what they do. But Ray apparently had no idea why the National Guard was not called out. And then Kennedy asked him about Horowitz. Hey, what are you guys doing about all the FBI agents mentioned in the Horowitz report who failed the country by being complicit in the Russian collusion hoax? And of course, Ray gave a non-answer. He said, we're cooperating with the Durham investigation, which is why we aren't doing anything on that. Oh yeah, that's good. You wouldn't want to jump the gun on the stuff you already know. Tom Tillis asked some decent questions, even though he's basically a Romney. Uh, He asked like what charges the FBI had been pressing so far. And Ray answered assault charges, destruction of federal property, things along those lines. Really, that's all. After two months of this investigation, those are the charges. That's the most severe thing that happened just some assault and some destruction of federal property? Where are all those charges from the last 10 months? Where are they? I mean, January 6th was supposed to be such a violent insurrection, such a dark day for America. Haven't you like gotten some scalps yet? Haven't you found out who's responsible? And of course they have. It's just they don't like the answer. And so we don't get the answer. If there were people on the right, Trump supporters, who they could make examples of, the people who led this thing, they would be doing it. And the fact that they are not doing it should tell you everything you need to know. You are not allowed to question the narrative, but you're also not allowed to get real answers. Now, Ray also said to Tillis that they go after extremism on the right and the left equally. That is an obvious, obvious lie. How do we get to the point where even letting a man say this in public is allowed to be taken seriously? He's under sworn testimony and he gets to say this stuff. It's crazy. There has not been any pursuit of Antifa or Black Lives Matter in all of their violence, in all of their rioting, all of the looting, all of the anti-American nonsense. None of it has been pursued. And what's worse is that none of their funding has been pursued. Black Lives Matter has a convicted domestic terrorist sitting on the board 
of its fiscal sponsor. Where's the FBI on that? Ray said that he doesn't have the details on the timeline of when the National Guard was called in. How? How should anyone believe that? Again, absolutely disgraceful. It really, really is. I cannot wait until the FBI and the CIA see some justice for what they have done to this country over the last decades, but especially the last five years. All of this is just deplorable behavior. It's so dishonest. It's so blatantly dishonest. Like they should be ashamed to be saying these things because it's certainly shameful as an American citizen to have to watch it. But I'm gonna choose to focus the rest of the day on no mask mandates in Texas. And I'll just be happy about that. So I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!